Dear Father in heaven, thank you Lord for giving us the opportunity to fellowship with you. It's an invaluable one and we are grateful Lord that you have invited us to be in this fellowship. Father, we pray that as we listen to the words of our devotion, it will be indeed strength for us. We need the manner that will sustain us as we go on our journey. We need it, Lord. Please give it to us. And we pray, Father, that as our souls hunger and test for righteousness and holiness and peace and purity, that you grant to us, O Lord, that peace that passes all understanding that comes from being in harmony with you. Please, Lord, bring us in harmony with you. Take us away from our sins, O Lord, and help us, Lord, to be pure and holy in your sight. Put your words in my mouth, Lord, for I have nothing to say to bless your children. Lord, cleanse me, sanctify me, and give me grace, Lord. Put your the heavenly living coals on my tongue, that it may speak word in season, word in season to those who are listening. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, July 1 A Contract with God And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him, and magnified him exceedingly. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 Not in the surpassing wisdom, the fabulous riches, the far-reaching power and fame that were his lay the real glory of Solomon's early reign, but in the honor that he brought to the name of the God of Israel through a wise use of the gifts of heaven. Noble in youth, noble in manhood, the beloved of his God, Solomon entered on a reign that gave high promise of prosperity and honor nations marveled at the knowledge and insights of the man to whom God had given wisdom. But the pride of prosperity brought separation from God. From the joy of divine communion, Solomon turned to find satisfaction in the pleasures of sense. Satan well knew the results that would attend obedience, and during the earlier years of Solomon's reign, years glorious because of the wisdom, the beneficence, and the uprightness of the king, he sought to bring in influences that would insidiously undermine Solomon's loyalty to principle and cause him to separate from God. Did the Lord make a mistake in placing Solomon in a position of so great responsibility? Nay, God prepared him to bear these responsibilities and promised him grace and strength on condition of obedience. The Lord sets men in responsible places, not to act out their own wills, but his will. So long as they cherish his pure principles of government, he will bless and strengthen them, recognizing them as his instrumentalities. God never forsakes the one who is true to principle. The Lord told Solomon that if he would walk in his way, his blessing would go with him, 
and wisdom would be given him. But Solomon failed to keep his contract with God. He followed the promptings of his own heart, and the Lord left him to his own impulses. Today, each one has a part to act, duties to perform, and responsibilities to carry. No one can act his part acceptably without wisdom from on high. Amen. The title of our devotion for today as we read is A Contract with God. And we look now into the life of the man called King Solomon. David, his life coming to an end and his reign also coming to an end, handed over to his son Solomon. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 2 from verse 1 to 4, it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to, thy, to their way, to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, he said he, a man on the throne of Israel. And in verse 10 it says, So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. Amen. Now, the death of David ushers us into a new chapter uh, in the life of Solomon. Solomon was from one of the wives of David that you wouldn't guess should be the one that the Lord would use to produce a king. The Lord wants to teach us a lesson that he brings out beautiful things out of ugly situations in our life. I like to read this passage so much. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, from verse 3 to 6, you know from verse 1 downward, the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is written down. And the genealogy traces the life of the fathers of the people and down till the father of Jesus who is Joseph and then to Jesus Christ. Now the focus is on the fathers but occasionally some women's names are mentioned after their husband is mentioned and of all the women to be mentioned most of the women are those who had some ugly situations in their life. Reading from verse 3 says and Judas begat Judas here refers to Judah, the son, the fourth son of Jacob. It says, And Judah begat Phares and Zara of Thama. That is the woman, Thama. Who is Thama? Thama is the wife of Judah's first son, who was a wicked person and the Lord slew him. And then Onan, who was supposed to give birth to a child through this same woman, Thama, for um, his elder brother, was sleeping with her for pleasure and didn't want to impregnate her, the Lord slew him also. Judah promised Tamar 
that she would have the next child who was a young boy but as things went on it didn't happen that way she pretended to be a harlot and she set judah up and slept with judah himself and got a child from her own father-in-law man think about that she got a child from her father-in-law judah and judah slept with his own son's wife and gave birth to two sons Phares and zara this was an ugly situation in fact when the woman was pregnant judah called for her death immediately and said you must die you have wrought shame in israel and then she brought out two items and said the owner of this item he is the one that owns the child when judah saw the items that it was his own signet and his own staff he confessed and said thou art more righteous than myself both judah and thama were involved in this ugly situation but through the child that came from that ugly experience phares there came another child called eshram and it goes on to say eshram begat aram and aram begat aminadab and aminadab begat nason and nason begat salmon now it goes deep now and salmon begat boaz of rechab another woman is mentioned to take note we have been mentioning men 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 but when it gets to salmon's marriage you say salmon begat boaz remember who boaz is the husband of ruth salmon begat boaz of rahab who is rahab the bible apart from this particular passage every time her name is mentioned in the book of joshua in the book of hebrews her name is always mentioned as rahab the harlot rahab the harlot rahab the harlot this woman wasn't in a, a, a profession that was good not that it was just a profession that was not good um, she was from Jericho, the capital of iniquity among the lands of the Canaanites, wicked, known for its evil and vice of all kinds. That is where Rahab grew up and she was practicing part of the deepest vices there in prostitution, the harlot. Well, her name is here. She was a transformed person. She married Salmon and gave birth to Boaz and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Ruth is a woman that is from the moabites whom the lord said to their 10 generations should not even enter into his kingdom into his uh, sanctuary or among his people and then he goes on to say and obed begat jesse and jesse begat david the king and david the king begat solomon of her that had been the wife of uriah wow who is that who was the wife of uriah Bathsheba. another ugly experience brothers and sisters a very important lesson for for, for us here the Lord brings beautiful things out of ugly situations. Tama, Rahab the harlot, Ruth, Bathsheba, even you can talk of other people who may not have been in Jesus' line but have also been involved in ugly things. They were all women who had shameful experiences and even Judah himself had a shameful experience. So did David and so did Solomon. And Ruth, like I said, was a Moabite who the Lord said to the tenth generation will not enter his kingdom. But Ruth was one is honored to be among those through whom our lord and savior jesus christ comes from what is the lesson that we learn from here today when people get pregnant in a way that they don't like they want to abort the child we need to learn from these women's story especially from Bathsheba. do not abort that child do not make situations worse than they, it already is the marriage of David and Bathsheba was honored with a child called Solomon who became the next king. Some might say, oh no, he shouldn't have married her because he um, 
he killed the husbands, he killed the husband of Bathsheba. But wherever you find yourself when you meet Christ, do not try to make the situation get uglier. The Lord can work with you based on where you meet him and how you met him. As, as far as your heart is transformed and as far as you have given yourself over to him to love and obey him, the Lord will bring um, something, beaut- something beautiful out of the ugly situation that has taken place. So now, we go into the chapter of Solomon's life. You see, we read that concerning Solomon's kingdom, that it is not his surpassing wisdom or his fabulous riches or his far-reaching power and fame that his glory came from. But rather, and remember this glory was his early glory because his, the later part of his life was not glorious at all. It says, but it was in the honor that he brought to the name of the God of Israel through a wise use of the gifts of heaven. That was how the earlier part of Solomon's reign was glorious. So, do we want our time on this earth to be a glorious one? Then we must learn to bring honor to God through the gifts that he gives us. We have gifts given to us of God, our mental capacity, our wisdom, our wealth, the influence and position that we have, our strength, our skills and abilities, all of this is a gift. But depending on what we use the gift for, that will determine whether our stay on this earth and our life in general will be a glorious one for ourselves or not. Because the only way you you can bring any glory to yourself is by bringing glory to God. Reading from Conflicts and Courage, page 188, paragraph 6, we are told, The Lord sets men in responsible places not to act out their own wills, but his will. So long as they cherish his pure principles of government, he will bless and strengthen them, recognizing them as his instrumentalities. God never forsakes the one who is true to principle. Amen. So from here, we learn the lesson that, for us, as it was in the life of Solomon. If you look at the earlier part of his life, which we will look at subsequently, this is just today's devotion, just an overview of his life. The earlier part of Solomon's reign was glorious indeed, but it was only because he was obedient to God. It's not because of his wisdom or his wealth or his riches. It was not that. It was because of his submission to the will of God, acting out God's will, using his talents to bring glory to God. How do we use our talents to bring glory to God? It is by using them to do just the things that are in harmony with his word. There's a lot of things we can do with our skill. For example, talking is a talent. You can speak to the glory of God. And then, whatever other thing you have, your strength, for example, you can re- you can give it as in service to the, to the work of God. In other words, we must, in all things we do, be in line with the commandments of God. When we deviate from the, from the commandments of God, we are no longer fulfilling God's will, but we are doing our own will. So, what were some of the principles? Because we read here now that the pure principles of God's government, when we cherish it, that is what God expects us to do. He will then bless us and strengthen us. He will recognize us as his instrumentalities. And he says, God never... I like that statement and I want us to have it in our minds. I want to put it in my own mind. God never forsakes the one who is true to principle. What principle are we referring to here? It can be little things. It is little things. The principles of your life in general. Principles of health reform. Principles of the commandments of God. Do not deviate from them, even in the least. 
and then you can be assured of God's presence, His protection, His guidance. But when we do things we shouldn't be doing, even as little as being awake when we are supposed to be asleep, you are going away from pure principle. Principle of health is part of it. And when you don't follow the principles of your lifestyle and health, when you eat what you're not supposed to eat, when you sleep at the time, um, wrong time that it's too late for example or even sleeping when you're supposed to be awake or, or when it's time to work you're not working but you are distracted by trifles or when you are even doing other um, things that are not in harmony with God's will outrightly you cannot be assured of God's presence and his guidance we ourselves have forsaken him in doing those things but what we read here is that god never forsakes the one who is true to principle but when we go against principle we forsake god and when we forsake god then we cannot have strength and we cannot get his blessing and we cannot be recognized as his instrumentality the last paragraph of our devotion says today each one has a part to act duties to perform and responsibilities to carry no one can act his part acceptably without wisdom from on high so this, you don't have to be a king like Solomon. All of us as individuals every day, don't look at your life in, in terms of many years. No, look at it on a daily basis, moment by moment in fact. Every moment we have a part to act. Every moment we have a work to do. And in order for us to fulfill our duties and responsibilities faithfully, we must have wisdom from on high. But this wisdom cannot be gotten except we are in line with the word of God. This is what we must have in mind. The principles that are contained in the commandments of God and faithfulness to them is what brings success. This was what David sought to impress in the heart of Solomon. We read it earlier in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2 when in verse 3 he told Solomon, Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written where? Not in the law and the constitution of the world, not in your textbooks in school, but David pointed him and said, As it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. So, what was Solomon's, Solomon's prosperity hinging on? What was it dependent on? What is the foundation of it? David pointed him to the law. That is where your prosperity will come from keep every detail he didn't just say the commandment the statutes the judgment the testimonies the commandment everything follow it to the letter that is your prosperity that is my prosperity will you obey that is the question you can be assured you can that as far as you follow the pure principles of god's government in your life moment by moment you will certainly get strength and help from him and you will find out that you bring glory to god and also glory will come to yourself the same goes for us today. We all have a contract with God in whatever work we are engaged in. He will prosper us if we are faithful to Him. And prosperity is not defined financially, by the way. Prosperity is defined by us bringing glory to God. Jesus prospered while dying on the cross and so did John the Baptist when he was beheaded. It is a carnal mind that defines prosperity in terms of material possession and money. The child of God does not do this. His prosperity is in doing anything that brings glory to God. That is when you have prospered. It is not in the results of it. I say that again. Your prosperity is after you have, when you have fulfilled the word of God. When you in the face of temptation keep God's commandments. And even without temptation, when you live 
in according to principle. For example, you sleep when you're supposed to sleep. You eat what you're supposed to eat. You dress the way you're supposed to dress. You continue to do exactly what the Word of God says you should do in His commandments. Don't talk about the results yet. That is, after you've kept the commandments, what are the results? No, that's not your prosperity. Prosperity has already come to you when you actually did what you were supposed to do. That is prosperity. The results of it is not the prosperity. Like I said, Jesus died on the cross while keeping the same commandments. But Solomon prospered in wealth while keeping the same commandments. Daniel also was elevated to be a prime minister and so was Joseph. But we all have different results. That is not what is the prosperity. The prosperity is not in the results of keeping the commandments of God. The prosperity is not the result of the keeping of the testimonies and the statutes. No. The prosperity is the keeping of the commandments itself. That in and of itself alone is prosperity whatever the results will be for you on this earth you may live a life that is not as affluent as the rest of the world but yet when you are living by the pure principles of god's government you are prospering already because that is what life is about no one can claim to be prospering when they are going against god's principles because it is not in harmony with god's will and it is not doing them any good eventually we will talk about the results and what is the eternal result eternal life the earthly result here varies for everyone but there's one result for everybody finally and that is that life eternal immortality in incorruptible flesh now when we look at the bible we see the records of the kings you see god takes a faithful record of our lives just as he takes record of the kings it shows us how god views men whom he has honored and placed in responsible positions and what he expects of them the study of the life of the kings is something that is to show us how god views people especially those who are put in positions of trust and heavy responsibility but more than that you can still apply to your own individual life because we all have influence to a to one degree or the other some have greater influence than others yes but we all are kings wherever we are just as god took note of the lives of the kings he takes note of our lives also like we read the lord sets men in responsible positions not to act out their own wills but his will wherever you are whatever position you hold it could be just a child or it could be a mother of a home or the father of a home in the office whatever position you are placed in a cleaner whether it is just a casual worker in a factory or whether it's a financial position an accountant or whether it is the chief financial controller anyone or anything at all the ceo you are in a responsible position and god did not place you there to act your own will but to act his will and this is the contract that he makes with us the same contract that he made with solomon and with everyone that contract is that we are to act his will and not our will saying we read also that god prepared solomon to bear his responsibilities it was not a mistake wherever god has placed you to the responsibility you are holding sometimes even if you got there to the wrong means there are many people who got to the position in the wrong means god is a god that forgives and he will say let's move on but from henceforth do what is right now in that position of responsibility that you are in you know some presidents are there in the position of president by cheating and corruption yes i understand that but even them as far as they're in that position god is someone that can say let's to leave the past in the past now i want you to act my own will even if you got here the wrong way i want you to act my own will god is speaking to all of us we must act his will in wherever position we find ourselves and it 
like in the case of Solomon, we asked the question based on the end of his life. Was it that God gave him a responsibility he couldn't handle? No, it wasn't. God prepared him to bear these responsibilities and promised him grace and strength on condition of obedience. That is conflict and courage, page 188, paragraph 5. The same contract is with us on condition of obedience. God will give grace and strength. Do you remember the story of, of King Saul? King Saul was not necessarily a qualified person for the position, but God in his mercy, after after selecting him, calling him, then he qualified him by granting him of his spirit, which Saul, King Saul did not even ask for. King Saul did not even know he needed it, but the Lord gave it to him nevertheless, knowing that whosoever he calls, he also qualifies. We do not have the qualification. God qualifies in his mercy. So whatever position you find yourself, the Lord will qualify and he will give you grace to act his will and not our own will. That is what we must have in mind. And Satan knows the results, just as he knew the results of Solomon's reign, that if Solomon would keep God's commandments and live a life of obedience, then there will be glory that will come to God's name and God's kingdom. So Satan tried secretly to bring in influences that would insidiously undermine Solomon's loyalty to principle and cause him to separate from God. As I look at this, I look at my own life personally and I see this same thing playing out. You see, nobody's life is insignificant. You who are listening to me, do not look down on yourself. Your life is not insignificant. God has a purpose for you. He has a responsibility that he wants you to carry. Why do you think the devil has attention on you? It is because he knows what you can do if you submit yourself to God. He knows the potential. He knows the responsibility that you can carry. And he knows what obedience to God can rot out in your life and in the life of others. Therefore, Satan spares no one. There is nobody to him that is not a threat. You look at yourself like you are not a threat. But you are. If you yield yourself over to God, Satan is afraid of what God can do with you. And therefore, right from when we are little children, he comes to do the one thing that he knows that is necessary for us to do, for us to not fulfill that mission that, that the Lord wants us to do. I will talk about what that mission is and we'll see it that that was what brought Solomon down. We read it in devotion today and it says that what brought him down was that he started to follow the impulses of his own heart. The Lord told Solomon that if he would walk in his way, his blessing would go with him and wisdom would be given him. But Solomon failed to keep his contract with God. He followed the promptings of his own heart and the Lord left him to his own impulses. End of quote. That's Conflict and Courage, page 188, paragraph 7. Do you know that right from when children are born, Satan wants to teach them to follow the impulses of their own heart? Do you ever hear it in the movies and in the cartoons, especially the cartoons? When they sing the song in Cinderella, follow your heart, follow your heart. That's what they keep saying, follow your heart. That was a problem for Solomon. Solomon started well. You see, let's just look at, the f- there are five kinds of life. Or when we look at the kings, we have like five kinds of kings in the Bible. There are those who begin well and end well like Jehoshaphat and Jotham, very nice men from the beginning of their life to the end, especially Jotham. You don't hear one bad record about Jotham. In fact, the kingdom prospered under him. He was such a good person. You also hear of kings that begin badly and they also end badly. All the kings of Israel, that is divided kingdom. When the, After Solomon's reign, Israel was divided into two. Judah and Benjamin in one side, that was the, 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 we call that the kingdom of Judah, which is what we know today as the Jews, and then Israel, the remaining, there was nine tribes actually, 
because it was supposed to be 10 but benjamin followed judah instead of going with the other people so these other nine tribes when they started to have their king started from the first one jeroboam to the last one hosia not one of them not one of them ended well every one of the kings were involved in idolatry till god gave them up and left them alone king ahab abijam ahaz amon uh, amon uh jehu okay jehu is not king ahab abijam ahaz amon jeroboam all of them they were people who never did well they began badly they ended badly then you also have kings that begin well and they end badly like jehu and joash jehu was a king of israel he was the one that killed ahab's family that had the that the lord raised him up and destroyed jezebel and all the children of ahab he was the one responsible for that faithful work he was the one who said come and see my zeal for the lord he was the one that did that but jehu ended terribly he continued to worship the sin that jeroboam had brought up he ended badly and then there was people that began badly and ended well when i say people i'll just say one person because it's very rare to begin bad badly and end well a very rare thing the statistics in the bible shows that only one person in the bible that began his reign in a very bad way and ended in a good way and that is king manasseh that teaches us a lesson that in the life of many human beings the foundation of our life determines a lot how our end is going to be if we start our lives badly the chances are that it will continue like that like it was for the kings of israel every one of them they began badly okay most of them began badly there were just a few like i mentioned jehu who started well i believe that the rest of them apart from jehu started badly and ended badly not one ended well only manasseh who was a king of judah 15 years old when he became king started to worship every other god he was the worst of the kings actually but yeah this same man who practiced all the wickedness he ended well god has that on record to encourage us that even though our lives may not have started out well we can still have faith in god to end well and then the fifth type uh, is where we'll find people like solomon and david and josiah hezekiah king Uzzah, or king azariah still the same person these are people who begin well they deviate along the way and then they end well which many of us find ourselves in this category of all those who will make it to the kingdom of god many will be in this category of beginning well have some shaky time on time in their life where they deviate and then eventually end well and then that's just what our responsibility is like when we are given responsibilities just like the kings this is how it is is that you take your responsibility and start it on the wrong foot end on the wrong foot you start it well deviate come back and still end well which is also not something easy or you start well and end well that was actually rare i could only find two kings who was like that that is king jotam and jehoshaphat the rest of them had one issue or the other and well they still ended well like david solomon and co but this is just an overview of what the kings were like but like i was saying what is it that really brings a problem in our lives in general whatever responsibility the lord gives to us if we fail what where do we really hold on to as a real root laying the axe to the root and say this is the root cause of our problem it is that thing we read deviating from god's principles following the promptings of our own hearts like i said right from childhood this lesson of follow the heart follow the heart already comes to us when we uh in pride and prosperity begin to separate from god following our own heart that was what happened to solomon solomon himself said in the book of ecclesiastes 1 reading from verse 12 and 13 he said i the preacher was king over israel in jerusalem and i gave my heart my heart he said to seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven 
this sort travail had God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. In verse 17 again, he said, And I gave my heart to know wisdom. In verse chapter 2, verse 1, he said again, I said, In my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. Verse 3, he then said, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. You see that the problem for Solomon was that his heart his heart he kept on saying my heart my heart my heart i gave my heart to this i gave my heart to that the following of the promptings of his own heart in other words when he said i gave my heart he said i i followed my heart whatever my heart the imagination of my heart was i, I got it for myself he imagined oh i like this lady what she looks like i want her for myself i got to get it what does this wine taste like i got to get it that was what was solomon's problem and satan knows how to do this to us like i said listening to the movies and the cartoons they are insidiously placing this messaging there to us telling us follow your heart you go to pocahontas she's talking to a tree that's her grandmother which is actually what you call it sorcery now and then the tree is telling her listen with your heart you will understand and it's telling her follow your heart then you go to beauty and the beast the same thing about the heart so go to cinderella it's about the heart go to the little mermaid uh, it's still about the heart the whole lesson they are teaching is follow your heart but is that the, what we're supposed to be doing? What does the Bible tell us about our heart? Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 3. It says, Also, the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it genesis 6 verse 5 and god saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually matthew 15 verse 19 our lord jesus christ said for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness blasphemies now brothers and sisters in light of all we just read now concerning our heart is that really what we want to follow should we be following our heart your guess is as much as, as good as mine we should not my heart is evil i know mine i know yours too whatever your name is the bible has declared that your heart is just as evil as my own your heart is as dirty impure wicked as mine we all have hearts that even deceive us. Assuming it was just impure and wicked, and we knew that it was impure and wicked, that's even better. But it's so bad and crafty that in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, we are told that our own heart is deceitful. Who does it deceive, really? Some people think, oh, the heart is deceitful, it's deceiving other people. No, the heart deceives us. Our own heart deceives us. You ever seen yourself go to someone's house, deceiving yourself that you are going there just to visit? But somewhere, your heart is having other plans. You don't know that you're actually going there hoping that there'll be a temptation for you to fall into why you're going to see that young lady, why you're going to see that young man. Your heart is deceiving you, telling you, oh, I'm just going to have Bible study, oh, I'm just going to visit him, I'm just going to visit her. But no, the heart is crafty, it's deceiving you, it's telling you you're just going to visit. But then it already has another intention to commit sin. That's how deceitful the heart is. And that's why we shouldn't follow our heart. Solomon said, I followed my heart. I gave my heart whatever I wanted. That is where Solomon's problem was and that's where our problem is. And what's the solution to this heart problem? Jesus said in the book of Matthew 6 verse 19 down to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth 
and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hmm. So here is a law given to us. That where my treasure is, my heart will go there. Because my heart follows after wicked things. So I'm not supposed to follow my heart. I'm supposed to rather direct my heart. I'm supposed to channel it in the right direction. Luke 12 verse 33 and 34 says, Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not. When no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupted. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also so my heart is evil it's out of it jesus said proceeds fornication adultery theft false witness blasphemy murder that is matthew 15 verse 19 that is what is in my heart so what do i do to this heart jesus said put your treasure what is your treasure here your treasure is not just your money but that's one that he said sell what you have give alms Provide yourselves bag which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. My strength is part of my treasure. My mental faculty is part of my treasure. My skill is part of my treasure. My influence and position is part of my treasure. My money is part of my treasure. So what Jesus is saying here is if I want my heart to start getting purer, what do I do? Use all these things now, all your treasures. Put them into the bank of God use them for good things and then your heart will start going in that direction but especially your money spend your money on godly things on godly projects use them in that direction and your heart will start going there because your heart follows your money it is not the money that follows the heart but let your money be spent and your energy spent on the right things and you find your heart going after those things it is a law that jesus gave and if you try it i'm sure it will work you see our heart is a problem it needs fixing and the lord is trying to fix this heart and he says to us in ezekiel 36 reading from verse 25 then will i sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean amen from all your filthiness jesus says i love this promise so much this ezekiel 20 36 i love it because the lord is promising me something and i know that as far as as my faith is so shall it be unto me jesus always says it as you have believed so shall it be unto you and i believe that the lord will sprinkle clean water upon me and will cleanse me from all my filthiness and from my idols that's what he said in verse 26 now he says a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you and i will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and i will give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them amen i say and i hope you are also saying amen to that our hearts need fixing solomon eventually because he followed his heart did not continue the way he started in a glorious way it was because he followed his heart he gave his heart like he said himself he put it on record that whatever it was his heart wanted he gave to it that is a lesson brothers and sisters do not give to your heart whatever it wants give to your heart what the lord says you should give it so that it will follow 
after what is right. Direct your heart. It is already evil. My heart is evil. I know it. I experience it on a daily basis. The thoughts that come, the evil, evil nature of man is still there. But then, we have to fight the heart by putting our energies in the right place and our money in the right place so that where our money and our energy and our skill is, our heart will also go in that direction. Brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to make us succeed. He wants to give us strength and He wants to bless us for whatever responsibility that we are holding. Are you a king? The Lord wants to bless you. Are you a president? Whatever position you hold, are you just a mother or father or just a child? Whatever role or responsibility you are performing, the Lord can strengthen and bless you. But it is on one condition. We must keep our own part of the contract and the bargain. We must render obedience. And then, He will bless us. May that be our experience, I pray. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, Indeed, our heart is desperately wicked. As Solomon's fa- Solomon failed because of following his heart. Some of us have experienced it already. Sometimes our whole day can be evaluated and we find that we followed our heart in one direction and because of that, we could not fulfill our responsibility for the day. Lord, please forgive us for these things that we do in following our wicked hearts. And help us, Lord, that our hearts would not lead us astray. But give us grace, Lord, to put our energy, our time, our resources, our money in the things of the Lord so that our hearts will also go after the Lord. Please, Lord, forgive us for the times that we have uh, spent in trifling and in disobedience. And help us, Lord, to start again and give ourselves over to do your will that we may bring glory to your name and to the rest of the world too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.